All right, it is Ryder Cup week, and I have Steve Bamford of the Golf Betting System, the Golf Betting System podcast, joining me for a special Ryder Cup discussion. This was an absolute blast for me. Steve is one of the largest reasons why this podcast exists and a real bucket list gas for me. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. We break down the course, we talk about pairings, we talk about the prop markets, we give our predictions. Everything you need to know about the Ryder Cup, it is all here. But before we get to my conversation with Steve, let's talk about Roto Ballers NFL Premium Pass. Win big in 2021 with Roto Ballers NFL Premium Pass. Are you ready to dominate your fantasy league? Well, Roto Ballers NFL Premium Pass includes draft kit rankings, projections, cheat sheets, waiver wire for all formats. Get exclusive draft articles, DFS tools, lineup optimizers, trade advice, premium Slack chats. Join in on the winning and take 50%. Don't know how long that's going to be around off any premium pass. If you sign up now with promo code Andy, that's promo code Andy, A-N-D-Y. Let's get to the show. All right. I'm being joined by the great Steve Bamford this morning of the golf betting system, the golf betting system podcast. He's Bamford golf on Twitter. Steve, we were just talking a little bit uh, offline about how you were one of the founding fathers of this podcast, whether you knew it or not. So I am so excited for you to join me this week on Ryder Cup week. How's it going, my friend? Oh, it's brilliant. Ryder Cup week. You can't, you just can't beat it, can you? It's, um, it's just got that extra edge to it. So, that, am, I, am I in your Mount Rushmore then? Of oh, one one hundred percent. I would say you for me in terms of inspiration of there's actually some merit in maybe me quitting my job and trying to do this. I would put you, you Mayo and Gaiman on the Rick Gaiman on the Mount Rushmore. That's that's high esteem. Very high esteem. <laughs> I know, and and I've actually I've gotten to become close with Pat and and wreck over the past couple of months. So you are the final check mark for me. I've been joking with our mutual friend Nagels. Yes, uh, yes. And, and I, I told him, I said, I said, Steve Bamford is currently my white whale for the podcast. I've gotten on literally every single other person that I wanted to get on in this industry on the podcast, except Steve Bamford. Actually, you know what? That's I I'm, I've just developed a recent friendship with with Ben Coley, and he hasn't come on yet. But you two tapping into the European side yeah. of it um, has been going. the UK side of it has been what I have kind of what I've been hoping for a little bit because I think I, I love the way that you guys approach things. We have we, uh, clearly your United States focus. Pat's up in Canada. You don't you know? Oh, I know that you've had Jeff Feinberg on here of, as well. I, I of course, on, yeah. I, I kind of group. Pat and Jeff together. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of group group Jeff and Pat together, of course. Yeah. Yeah. They are. They're they're like the two amigos. But over here in the UK, we have a we have a thriving betting market. Um golf's probably uh, third, fourth highest um sport when it comes to you know turnover of golf bets. It's very, very popular. We have an ever-growing DraftKings um playership over here as well. All of the content that you guys pull together over in the United States and North America, we you know we listen to it in ever growing amounts over here. It's just you know it's just a, it's a it's a cross Atlantic um, situation, and it's an absolute pleasure to be on the, to be on the show. Okay, I appreciate that very much, and what you kind of just said dovetails into the first question that I'm really curious to ask you about. Just to set the stage a little bit, to me, this is a top five weekend of the year. It's right up there with the majors. I think I enjoy this more than I enjoy the players. And this specific year, not just because I'm going, I, I feel like there's a little bit more buzz around this Ryder Cup now. Now, I'm not sure whether that's because it's been three years that we've had to wait instead of two. I'm not sure if it's because of some of the drama that is surrounding the U.S. side regarding the Brooks and Bryson thing and the Bryson long drive thing and and Brooks's uh, big interview with Golf Digest. I'm sure we can touch on all of those things, Steve. But the first thing I wanted to ask you is, first of all, 
what's your relationship to the Ryder Cup over the years? Uh, what is kind of ha- ha- how meaningful is this event to you? And then as a follow-up question, what is the vibe in, in England this week? How, how, are, how are people feeling about, about the team? Are they optimistic? Are they, are they confident? What's kind of the buzz where you are and, and how do you feel specifically about the Ryder Cup as an event? I think the Ryder Cup as a sporting event has to be up there with the, the biggest events in sport globally. Um, I think it's an event from a golfing perspective that actually attracts um, non-golf viewers. Completely agree. Um, I'll give you an example. My father is 80 years of age. He would never watch any golf tournament at all. But I'll often go around there after the Ryder Cup and my mother will say to me, Oh, your dad was watching the Ryder Cup all three days. I couldn't drag him away from the TV. (laughs) It's that kind of event, isn't it? Um, It's the crowd. There's the history behind it. And, and of course, what what we've had in recent renewals, a very UK word, renewal, um, clearly the competitive side of things, where it used to be dominated by America, and then we went through the, the iterations of Europe getting closer and eventually winning. And then there's been this kind of, I wouldn't say you, well, it's been a lot tighter and there's been almost an element of Euro domination of late. Yes. I just think that that, that makes it even, even bigger over here. From a betting perspective, personally, I find it difficult. Um, you know, when we're, when, when we're um, trying to find the winner in a 156-man field like we had at the Fortinet last week, that to me being kind of, in the industry since 2009 and it's always you know basically we focus on on tournament straight betting that to me is my bread and butter but Ryder Cup if you're going to be lumping on America this week you, I know that I know that Feinberg's mentioned that he's going to try and get as he's going to try and make as much money out of the team USA for the, for the Ryder Cup and making a profit from it to take him to his trip to Las Vegas <laughs> well, that's, that's quite deep that's, that's deep stakes really um, and that kind of now I prefer 33 to 1 rather than 2 to 1 on it has to be said but there are kind of elements to it that you can get looking to there's the top uh, points combined markets the top uh, euro top america markets maybe you could um, look at the some of the rookie markets there are ways and means i never get into score betting that to me doesn't attract so far too technical um from a confidence perspective over here uh, in in uh, the uk and europe i wouldn't say we're as confident as we have been in the past i think it's becoming ever more obvious that the advantage of playing at home is so so big. Yes, that was that. I mean, that was clearly brought home at the Golf National in 2018, which was set up to be as technical, as tough, as non-American as possible. Yes. So that actually hitting fairways and and hitting greens was a real uh, priority, especially hitting the fairway. Um, I don't think it's going to be anything like that this week. Although there are some, I know we're going to talk about the course. There are some interesting tweaks. Now, whether Kerry Hay um, of the PGA of America has decided, because I've seen some interviews where he says, well, some captains let me set the course up. Other captains tell me exactly what they want. So what camp Steve Stricker's in? Not sure. We'll probably find out post-event. But in terms of confidence... I wouldn't say the I wouldn't say there's a, a, a confidence over here that we we will win this. Um, however, I do think in terms of the odds and looking potentially at the weather forecast, I think some of the elements will suit the Europeans coming up. I I agree with what you just met what you just said. I think that I, I think that obviously the U.S. has a talent advantage on paper that is that is not very disputable but always um and and even you could probably make the argument that this year most or more so than previous years that it, it is a particularly strong united states team in terms of 
talent. Now, not all of those players on the team are coming in playing their best golf. There's obviously pretty large concerns uh, around Colin Morikawa and whether he's still uh, battling that lingering injury that he suffered at the Olympics. Brooks Kepka obviously had a was a pretty gnarly wrist injury. I, I remember watching that live at, at Eastlake and Listen, for him to withdraw from that event, like they give out a lot of money for finishing 20th at Eastlake. Yeah. So, so for him to withdraw out from that event, I, I think that was pretty significant. Obviously, Dustin Johnson hasn't been playing his best golf recently. Scotty Scheffler had an underwhelming playoffs. Uh, Harris English is kind of cooled a little bit as well. So, you know, I, I think what you kind of mentioned a little bit about the price and from a gambling perspective, it, it, it's a it's a little tricky because I personally think that I don't want to say that the, the U.S. side is unbettable and I won't end up getting there by the week, but it does kind of seem to me like more of the value is on the European side and that price for the U.S., it still feels high to me. It still feels a little bit just like we are penciling these guys in because of the talent advantage. And I'll kind of use this as a segue to allow you to start talking about um, the course a little bit with the weather. You know, what? when I look at whistling straights on paper, I do believe that it there is an advantage to the U.S. side, but I don't know if it's as great as people want to make it. Yeah, I, I, I think I personally think the price there's there's too much of a gap. I've I've already backed Team Europe. I backed them with my um, cohort of the Golf Betting System podcast, Barry O'Hanran. Um, we backed we backed them on Saturday morning. We were just having a Skype chat, and we we got on at nine to four, which we thought was the top of the market in terms of price. Whether uh, well, I know. I know Barry. Uh, he he's backed it with. Uh, he's backed it fixed odds. He's also had a proportion on out on over here Betfair Exchange, which is you know where where effectively you can you can back and lay money over here without using a bookmaker unless it's just a commission. So you can actually trade on there as well. So you can hedge out. I, I think I'm I, because what you tend to see and what this could very much happen is say um, say the morning session on Friday, Europe win three one. Well, it's two and a half, one and a half. All of a sudden, these prices flip very quickly. Yes. You could, so you could actually see that the Americans then are, are then actually, you know, Europe go odds on and the price on the Americans gets deeper. Let's let's talk about the – so, I yeah, so I I, I mean, I'll, I'll state right here right now. I, I'm on board Team Europe at nine to four over here, which is just a snitch over two to one. Um, the course is interesting. It's the straights course, whistling straights, of course, Cola Vids concept. Now, Pete Dye design. Um, so many courses on the PGO Tour now, and in the majors of Pete Dye designs. But I know. Frightening, really. Now, I categorise this as coastal. And of course, you know, people could throw a load of abuse at me, on Steve. You know, it's. Uh, but w- when you actually look at it, you know, it's on Lake Michigan, is it? The large. Did you know this? The largest lake by area in one single country. I Amazing did. But true. I did. It's not amazing what you find on Wikipedia. No, yeah, the, you know, it's clearly it's, you know, it's virtually like the sea, isn't it? It's a huge, huge body of water. So let's bear that in mind. Pete Dye also designed it, you know, to, as a coastal golf course. So the way, the, the direction of the holes, it, you know, it plays best when there is wind as a feature, right? First point of note, they're playing this as par 71 this week. Now, the PGA Championship that they played in 2015 at Jason Day one. Um, that was played as a par 72. They've knocked 100 yards off the golf course as well. So they're actually playing this, as per the Ryder Cup website, as a 7,390-yard par 71. So we're looking now at three par fives rather than four. And the hole that they've changed is the 11th, which the PGA t- plays as a 563-yard par 5. It's playing as a 513-yard par 4. So a stretching par 4. So, yeah, they're, they're just interesting elements. I know for a fact, I watched the No Laying Up um, videos and, um, and content too. that they've been doing. So, <laughs> I love uh, so, those guys. Yeah. It's fantastic stuff. And they, that, that golf course can play up to seven, seven, is it? Or seven, eight to the tip? Almost, almost 7,800 yards when yeah. it's a par 72, yeah. 
So clearly, you know, the decision has been made. Right, we're going to we're not playing it to the tips, which I thought probably suit the Americans anyway. We're going to we're going to knock four hundred yards off the golf course and play it as a par seventy one. Now, whether that's because that they've looked at the landing areas and that works well in terms of having the broadest landing areas for the you know for the for the, for the Americans and I can they've it's already been placed out there uh, that. The, the rough length for the 2015 PGO was four to six inches. Well, this this time around, it's being quoted as two and a half to four inches, That's which nothing. you would expect. Yeah, yeah. which would you, you you would expect, wouldn't you? Yeah. So you know the rough's going to be down. But I just, I just think they're they're in, they're interesting dynamics. What what's clearly being done with the course scoring average in 2010 here when uh, when um, Kaima won 72.92. So that was just almost a stroke over par on the average. Scoring average in 2015 when Jason Bay won 72.76, which was just you know three quarters of a stroke over par, which for a major championship course is not that stretching. No. Uh, we've had US Opens and the like and PGA Championships playing two, two and a half, three strokes over par. I don't think it's an owner, it's not an onerous course, effectively. Um it's gettable. And of course, it's a rider cup. We want to see birdies, don't we? We want to see eagles. We want to see birdies. And so that, that's kind of done what they've, they've done to the course. In terms of the actual agronomy of the golf course, we're looking at fairways, which are a bent grass mix with fine fescue and poana. The rough is fine fescue. And as I said, two, it's looking at, at being two and a half to four inches long, which isn't overly taxing. The greens are on average seven and a half thousand square feet so they're they're pretty large greens and they feature providence bent grass so no no quoted poana in the actual green surfaces themselves it's a it's a it's a peat dye design it's stretching um, there's only what there's only one hole that actually features water in play so not a lot of water in play. Bear that, in mind that, that first that first water. kind of strange par five called Snake. I remember. I think it's like six or something like that. Is is yeah. the one with water? Yeah. Masses and masses of long fescue. Masses and masses of bunkers. Masses and masses of these. What do you call them? These these sand traps, which aren't bunkers. And you know, Dustin Johnson clearly got called out in twenty ten. But yes. It's a very it's it's a visually intimidating golf course, but when you read the player quotes from 2010, 2015, it is very much a typical long United States golf course where you know you've got to attack it area. There's there's there's, there's, there's not really any links element to it at all. Okay, so you touched on many things that I want to do do a little bit of a, do a little bit of a follow up on. Um, the first thing that you mentioned is uh, the length of the course. Yeah, I, I I think leading into this, I was I, I I kind of assumed that it would play the seven par 72, 7,800 yards. The fact that it is a now a par seventy one playing closer to seventy four hundred yards. I've kind of gone back and forth on whether I need to kind of reconsider why they decided to do that, and and if I need to kind of reconsider how much I think that driving distance and length off the tee kind of matters on this course, because that is kind of the huge prevailing narrative that you're going to hear this week. If you do the, I don't know if you're familiar at all with data golf, but they do kind of have this course fit tool where it it kind of compares a course to other PGA tour courses. And you look at whistling straights and in terms of relative importance to driving accuracy and iron play and around the green play, driving distance at whistling straight actually completely sticks out um, as something that is incredibly important. Now, that's not to say that um, shorter hitters can't compete here. Just a quick scan over the leaderboards from the 20, 2004, 2010, and 2015 PGA, and you'll you'll see that you know many players uh, close to the top of the leaderboard were not particularly bombers off the tee by any means, but it does seem like there is a large advantage if you are long off off the tee at whistling straights. I I think what's kind of interesting about that is, do you still feel that way that distance is going to be very important here, even though it's 
playing as a par 71 now and is close to 400 yards shorter because again, to bring up the no laying up guys again, I think they made a a pretty good point when they said it, it still is distance still matters here a ton because the way that whistling straights is set up now is it's a lot of very long holes and a lot of very short holes. So uh, they're over six par fours, I believe, that are over 450 yards. And I think three or four of them that are over 500. And then they've moved the tee up a little bit on some of the par fours to make them drivable. So to me, and I'm curious to get your take on this, that almost plays into, that almost favors distance even more than if it was set up at 7,800 yards, just based on the way these holes are being set up. Because you look at some of the holes that normally they would be a 390 yard par four, and now they're a 330 or a 340 yard par four. And now a player like Bryson can drive that hole. Um, And whereas a, a shorter player might have kind of an awkward 50 yard pitch shot. So to me, it was Steve Stricker, what he did sneakily by shortening the course almost even played more into longer hitters hands. If that, does that make sense? What I'm getting at there? I think that's the play, isn't it? It's actually shortening some of these holes so that they're virtually drivable. And in the cases of a DeChambeau or DJ probably are drivable. Um, I I, I think that's the game plan, isn't it? I mean, you, you just got to look at the 2010 and 2015 leaderboards here haven't you? you've got name i know clearly martin keimer isn't the longest driver in the on the planet but what martin keimer in his pomp and prime was was long enough and straight enough so excellent total driver excellent strokes going off the tee driver but not pure you know not pure um, power but bubba watson was second in 2010 uh, rory McIlroy in the top three Clearly, DJ was up there in fifth. Yes, there, there were there were Jason, there were Zach Johnsons, there were Jason Duffners. But to me, I mean, Jason Day was also in the in the top ten. Big big hitter. You then go to 2015. Jason Day clearly was the winner and, and won by a margin. But Justin Rose was up there. Brooks Kepka was up there back in 2015. Kepka was just you know making himself you know hitting kind of the. The, the world or just the, the world of golf. Not many people knew too much about Brooks back in 2015. Dustin Johnson was up there. So there's some big, big Tony Finau, first ever top ten at a major. Big hitters. I, I, I genuinely think it, you know, it's a bombers golf course. And that that kind of comes through in what we saw in that no laying up presentation. It, it just comes through looking at the numbers. It, and as you say, you know, when you've got par fours. I think the closing par four is over 500 yards. You yeah. know, if, you can get, if you can get your drive 350, 360, uh, you're coming in with a much shorter club than, say, an Ian Poulter would be. Um, and a, uh, I was going to say Matthew Fitzpatrick, but he's sneakily long these days. But yes, I, I think power is a is a real value to the Americans. They they clearly will have that within their statistical matrix as one of their advantages off the tee. And that's clearly what was reined in at the Golf National back in 2018. Make a golf course as tight, the rough as penal as possible, so that actually driving distance was, in a way, a negative at the Golf Golf National in 2018. I think this, you know, in 2021 at Whisking Straits, I think it will be an advantage to, to to quite a degree in those terms. The other thing we've got to bear in mind as well, Andy, is the weather. Yes. Now... I, I, I would assume, not that I've ever been to Wisconsin and I've never been there in the fall. Um, over here, we call the fall the autumn. But I'm, I'm just looking. I, I always use uh, Windfinder as one of my really key uh, weather indicators. And I'm at the local weather centre to the golf course at Whiskey Straits. And, and they're saying that Friday, um, it's going to be 20 degrees Celsius with 68 Fahrenheit. Um, there could be 20 to 30 mile an hour winds in the morning. Uh, and that was still 15 to 20 in the afternoon. So that doesn't, for, you know, for the northern United States, I hope, put it this way, what, what days are you going? Uh, I'll be there every day. I, yeah, uh, I, 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 I would wrap up with some layers, Andy. There's, there's your advice, yeah. my fatherly advice to you. <laughs> um, Saturday, 17 degrees Celsius looks like it's going to be the... Um, the, the, the peak in the afternoon, that's 63 degrees Fahrenheit. 
up to 20 mile an hour gusts in the morning, slightly less in the afternoon. And on Sunday, 16 degrees Celsius, 61 Fahrenheit, gusting 15 miles an hour. Now, for me sitting over here just outside London in the UK, they seem numbers that you don't typically get clearly in the summer or even in you know, Florida, the Florida swing. That's, that's particularly cold. Now, that to me feels very Northern European type weather, especially throw in some gusting winds. I mean, it's early, it's Monday over here. So, you know, we know in a way you, you can't gauge anything until the day before, but you, you get a view. If that stays true, that to me is a real advantage to the European team, those weather conditions. I, I think you're right. Can, can you can you speak on that a little bit more? I, I'm just really curious because I think this is very important, a, a piece that we may be underrating by a lot of us kind of penciling the U.S. side in is that, you know, I do think that Steve Stricker is very aware of what happened in Paris. And I, I was reading a Davis Love quote the other day about how, you know, we got bent over a barrel in Paris. We were not prepared whatsoever. They really thought about the course setup and we didn't consider all of those factors. I mean, there were all these, you know, uh, Fleetwood had won at that course on the European tour. Molinari had finished runner up like three times at that course. And it's not a coincidence that Molinari ended up going five and zero oh in those matches and Fleetwood ended up going four and one. I think the U S is very cognizant this year of how they can kind of flip the script on that and really play to the course. And I think that it really bears true in Steve Stricker's selections is, you know, I, I listened to that, that long press conference that he did with the captain's picks and he really thought about it this time. And he, he relied on analytics a little bit more than I think he usually does, or the U S side usually does. That's another huge misconception about the European side is, you know, people think that the European side just they just pick based on chemistry. The European side, they're very reliant on analytics and very thoughtful about course fit and selecting the best players that they have available, not just locker room guys, like the best players that they have available for that course. I think the US is improving at that. And like I said, becoming a little bit more cognizant. But the one thing that they can't really control is the weather. And so if we have this course playing a little bit more like a Lynx course, a little bit windier than a player, a player like a Tyrrell Hatton, who in completely calm conditions um, is not maybe the best fit you would think for whistling straights, but Hatton is a player that's had tremendous amount of success on links courses. And yeah. there are a number of those European players like Hatton, like a Fitzpatrick that they tend to thrive more in difficult conditions um, as opposed to easier conditions. So would you say that the harder the course plays, would you agree with that sentiment that the more difficult it plays and the windier it gets, the more that actually plays into the Europeans' hands? And kind of just to segue into start us start talking about some of the players, who on the European side are you kind of looking at, not necessarily from a from a betting perspective, but uh, in terms of players that you think on the European side do kind of fit whistling straights maybe a little bit better than we would expect? I definitely think, and, and Barry off the podcast, in fact, Paul, all three of us, are, are, and we're recording the podcast tomorrow morning, so that'll be out tomorrow, tomorrow Tuesday. Um, we're very on point in terms of weather. And we, we're pretty sure that the more technical as we classify it, the, the, the nastier the weather, the lower, the higher the scoring. So, you know, less bird is less eagles, the more that it suits the European. And you've only, I mean, let's let's use another Pete Dye course as an example, shall we? Now, back in uh, May, not many people thought that Phil Mickelson would win the PGA Championship. Now, that was a peak die design. It was coastal. It was windy. It wasn't crazily windy, but it was 15 to 20 throughout. And the way the course sets up, you know, it was 
the way that Pete Dye designed that course, the fact that everything coming back from 12 was into the wind, it just stretched the world's best. And just look at the leaderboard. Mickelson won it. And then you had the likes of crazy leaderboard, really. Second, tied second, Brooks Kepka. Tied fourth, Padre Harrington, Shane Lowry, Paul Casey. There's, there's a European feel for you. Tied eighth, Justin Rose, John Rahm. We also had up there Scotty Scheffler, Colin Morikawa. So I'm reading from that top, those top eight or top uh, ten finishes, if you like. They were ties for eight, but Kevin Strillman, Ricky Fowler, they haven't made the team. Tony Finau, Scotty Scheffler, Will Zalatoris, Colin Morikawa. So there was only three, there was only four of the PGA of the Ryder Cup team, Team America, that got into the paying places, if you like, or towards the head of the leaderboard at that PGA Championship on a Pete Dye design, a long golf course in windy conditions. I know that the agronomy was completely dis- different with the past and whatever. But it just shows you, if that course plays more difficult, and that's one thing that Steve Stricker and the PGA of America and the organisers haven't got control of, the weather. And I, I just, you know, every time I look at that, that, I'm looking at it right now on my screen, you know, it's still saying... Uh, that at one o'clock on Friday, that, that's going to be gusting 30 miles an hour. There's no, um, there's no um, thunderstorms or boomers in the forecast. So they they're after playing it. That, to me, is advantage Europe. It just has to be. Saturday, yeah, gusting up to 20 in the morning. But it's the temperatures as well. No, these are cold temperatures. I mean, when, uh, apparently, when it starts at 7 o'clock on Saturday, it's going to be 8 degrees Celsius, and it's going to be, no, it's still going to be 13, 15 degrees Celsius, so low 60s Fahrenheit, you know, late, in the, late on in the morning on Saturday. So, yeah, I, I, that to me, and that to me, again, I can see why over here people are nibbling on the Europe price, because I think as... If this, if this weather forecast and, and the feel for the golf course, the feel for the weather, there's going to be wind in, in, in play, that to me, again, just brings that gap slightly down between the Americans and the Europeans. Because that kind of golf, you've mentioned it, Till Hatton, you know, the one when he had in the United States was at Bay Hill in those mm-hmm. very, very windy. windy yep, yeah, firm, yeah, fast, yeah. yes. You got it. Fitzpatrick, the same. Also Shane plays Lowry. great Shane Lowry is another great example, isn't it? 2019 Open champion. The worse those conditions get, the windier it gets, that's going to suit a Shane Lowry down to the ground. Uh, Paul Casey, Paul Casey's more than apt in, in those kind of conditions. So, yeah, I, I, I genuinely have, I think that helps team, team Europe if that weather comes to fruition. Are you looking at all at the kind of the top European points scorer and and those kind of markets. Are you looking to get into that? And and if so, who are some of the players that you are looking at on, well, we can either say the European or the US side. Let's talk about both. Do you do you, I think kind of my thought with the European team is I actually think that in terms of elite talent at the very top with Rory, Rom, and Hovland, their top three is right up there with the Americans' top three. If anything, you could make the argument even better based on the form that John Rom is in. Do you feel, and I think the biggest advantage that the U.S. side is when it comes to depth. I think the back end of the U.S. team is a lot stronger than the back end of the European team, but I think the thing that people sometimes forget about the Ryder Cup is, and Europe's not afraid to do this, they'll play guys only twice. If they want to hide someone, they'll be happy to hide someone. There's no rules or stipulations that you have to use all players. Have you thought at all about strategy-wise what the Europeans are going to do, how often they're going to... Do you see any other players outside of Rom and Rory playing five matches? Um, do you think that there is one or two players that, you know, may be utilized a little bit more than we would expect? What are you kind of thinking in terms of how Patrick is going to trot out this European side and how that could affect potentials in the betting markets in terms of 
top point scorer and and, and those kind of offerings? I think um, a situation. I, I don't think Pad, Pad, Padraig Harrington will shy away from picking wild cards if he thinks that they're a in the right level of form and b the golf course and the conditions suit. I just I'm looking historically at numbers here. Sergio Garcia across his nine Ryder Cups to this point, unbelievable but true. He's got a winning, but by the way, he's got a win-loss record of six wins, three um, three losses on the Ryder Cup. Uh, phenomenal numbers indeed. Um, if you actually look at the average amount of games that he's played across those nine matches, it averages out just over four and a half matches per per Ryder Cup. Uh, Rory McIlroy averages out of four point eight. I think there was just one where he, they played him in four rather than five. So you're guaranteed. I, yeah, the way it's going to pan out, John Rahm and McElroy, they, they're going to be played five times, aren't they? And when it comes to these markets, when it comes to top American, top European, I always like the top combined scorer as well. So let's lump all the players in together and, and we'll try and work out who's going to be top point scorer across the week. It, the, the most important thing here is to, you know, who's going to play five matches? And you can kind of work out... Clearly, who's going to play five matches? You want players that are going to be selected for Thursday morning. Uh, sorry, Friday morning. That you know, that's obvious. So Friday morning, who's going to be in those 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 teams? Those four teams on each side. Now, in my mind, Polt. Um, I don't think Polt is not likely to get a start in the morning, in my opinion. But McElroy, yes. Ram, yes. Um, you could see a situation where they play Sergio. I think they'll definitely play Hovland. But I, I genuinely think, and I think there's value in Shane Lowry. I, I do think that, um, especially if this win, these wind conditions are as, and the temperature are, are going to be as kind of the for, early forecasts are saying. I'm seeing him on in the European top scorer market at 12 to 1. I think there's worse bets than that with Shane Lowry. I don't. I don't see Lowry being a wild card that they hide away. I, I just don't see it. I really don't see it. The other thing I, I know that you're aware of this, Andy. I keep um, strokes gained numbers, my own analysis, and I keep it short. I keep it over eight weeks just to see, you know, who's peaking, who isn't peaking with recent form. And if you actually look in my analysis at um, Strokes gain total, so it's strokes gain current form. This goes back to the Olympics, effectively, and includes the Olympics. Shane Lowry, across the 24 players this week, sits in seventh place for strokes gain total, in my analysis. And he also sits in the top eight for strokes gain T to green. So I, I think the guy's in good nick, um, and I, I think the conditions and the course could suit him. So he's 12 to 1 right now in the top European point scorer market. Uh, I'll also look at the top combined point scorer market. You can find Shane Lowry. These are clearly UK prices that I'm quoting. Um, he's available at 25 to 1, which to me is a good price. Interestingly enough as well, this is the kind of date, this is the kind of information I know that you love, Andy. I hope, hopefully the listeners like, like it. If you go top point uh, combined point scorer over the last three Ryder Cups. So I'm talking Justin Rose in 2014. I'm talking Thomas Peters of all people in 2016. He's, looking, yeah. talking, He's with know, Rory every time. Yeah. Unbelievable. And Francesco, who was a wild card, of course, Peters, I believe. Yeah. Francesco Molinari, 2018. The, the odds of those three winners were 12 to one for Rose, 50 5-0 to 1 for Thomas Peters and Francesco Molinari on a golf course that was created for him and Tommy Fleetwood at the Golf National was a 22 to 1 shot to win that top point scorer market combined. It seems to be a little bit of a graveyard for the favourites and for the short prices. Uh, Ian Poulter also at um, in 2012 at Medina, the miracle of Medina, he was top combined point scorer, and I can guarantee you he was about 20 to 1 that particular week as well. So 20 to 1, 12 to 1, 50 to 1, 22 to 1. That points me in the direction of somebody like a Shane Lowry. And I'll tell you another player that I think from the American side that could go very, very well in that top point scorer 
or top uh, combined point scorer market. And I don't quite understand why he's this price because I think Xander and Patrick Cantlay are likely to play all five matches for the Americans. And I think they're going to be one of those teams, especially when you look at the President's Cup. I think they're so close together. I think that they're going to play potentially in all the matches together. So I'm seeing Patrick Cantlay at 11 to 1. And I'm seeing uh, Xander at 16 to 1. And you think, well, if they're going to play all four games together in terms of their foursomes and four balls, the only difference in that price could be the singles match. So I think 16 to 1 on Xander to be in the top um, combined point scorer market is also a good bet. And, you know, and if you're looking at him in that market, I don't think he'd be a bad shout also for the for the uh, top American market as well. What, what do you think on Xander? I, 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 for me, there's, we, we've been so long with Xander being put up at very, very tight odds. And this actually looks an opportunity where, to me, there's a bit of value in his price for this, for the Ryder Cup this week. I think this is a good spot for Xander. I wanted to just also mention the fact that I, I love Lowry as well. And I think I think what's important about kind of when you're trying to get into these markets of top point scorers, it's very important to kind of do your best to try and figure out and speculate who they will be paired with. So a Lowry, for example, I could see Lowry playing with Rory a fair bit. And, you know, you can kind of, if Lowry and McElroy are paired together two or three times and Lowry is at double or triple the odds as Rory as top point score, they, they're each getting the same amount of points for if they win a match. So I, I totally agree with the Lowry call. I, I think he was somebody that I was looking at as well. As far as Xander, I think this is a good course for Xander. He has no experience at Whistling Straits. He has no experience in the Ryder Cup. But, you know, he he does rate out well for me when I kind of ran a bit of a statistical model. He's pretty good from 200 yards plus. I do think long iron play is going to be pretty important here. Xander's very long off the tee. He's kind of sneaky long off the tee for how non-imposing of a player he is. And he's number one in this field in sand saves as well. And and if you it just from a quick glance at the course, this course is absolutely littered with bunkers um, as well. Very good on par five. So I, I think Xander is obviously a really well-rounded player and can play well anywhere. But I do think that this course specifically is a good course for him. The player that I was looking at, and I again, this is an interesting segue because I'm so fascinated to get your take on some of how people in the UK feel about the noise surrounding the uh, the US team. But Bryson is very interesting to me because I think that I think that there's a universe where if Bryson gets off to a hot start and Bryson is playing well, They he has the potential to really, really, really succeed in this in, on this course and, and in this environment. I do think that, like I look at, when I ran through all of the numbers, Bryson and Rom were the two clear best players on paper for me based on the statistical analysis of how they've been playing and how I feel, what the important skill sets are, in my opinion, for whistling straights. Bryson is, over his last 50 rounds, he's first off the tee, he's first in proximity from 200 yards plus, and he's first in driving distance, first in birdies or better gained as well. So those four things, he's first in all of them in terms of this field. Off the tee, long iron play, distance and birdies. Bryson's number one in all of those things. So I think that if Bryson is able to get off to a hot start, he's a player that I really think that Whistling Straits is a tailor-made course for Bryson DeChambeau. In terms of, do you, how are you kind of, do you think, I know you already mentioned that you're on the European side. 
how, and this kind of goes back to my initial question about how people in the UK kind of feel about the US. I'm so fascinated to hear um, how you guys feel about some of the chemistry issues that we've had versus the obvious kind of locker room component advantage that Europe has had over the years. I was just listening to an Ian Poulter interview the other day where he he was laughing about it and he said on paper on paper on paper you can say on paper to me all day um you know we still believe that we feel confident in our side how do you kind of feel about a bryson and are you factoring into your handicap as part of the reason that you were on the European side? Is it because some of the noise that is coming out of the U.S. side with the chemistry and the Brooks and the Bryson and all of that stuff? Or do you think that stuff's a little bit overblown? I think in terms of Team Europe, I think their chance... I, 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 I'm, I'm generally back them on the basis I think their price is it's, it's inflated, it's too big. Um, there's a lot of rhetoric out there that you know the Americans are going to blow the Europeans away. And actually, if this golf course was being played in 25, 28 degree temperature weather with no wind, and they probably would. But again, if this weather gets up, it's 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 undoubtedly going to play towards the European side. Now, I, I'm with you on Bryson. I mean, I'm looking at my eight week numbers. And he he ranks first for off the tee. He ranks seventh in this uh, in in the, against the twenty four players for strokes gained approach. He ranks second for strokes gained tee to green behind Daniel Berger of all people. Uh, top nine for putting, and if you actually look strokes gained total, so strokes gained current form. This includes Eastlake. Um, includes all the strokes going numbers from there. Number one would be Patrick Cantley. There's no surprise in that, is there? Number two is actually Bryson DeChambeau. Three tied, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas. Now, I was going to ask you, Andy, because clearly, you know, we don't get all the all of the content on the you know, a lot of the golf channel and the and the golf chat over in the States. The thing with DeChambeau is the big, big question is. Does DeChambeau get to play more than three matches? Because I, I see a lot on Twitter about, oh, you would never have. How can Bryson Bryson be placed in in um, foursomes? You know, who's going to play in foursomes with Bryson DeChambeau? You know, it just can't happen. It won't happen. And that kind of has been that's at the back of my mind. So, is there a world though where Steve Stricker he gets off to a hot start? I don't. Are they playing four balls or foursomes in the morning on Friday? I, I'm not aware. They, is there is there is there a world out there where actually DeChambeau starts hot and very you know very reminiscent of Mollywood back in 2018? Once a, if a player is winning in their team, then is, is Stricker going to say, "Oh no, I'll rest you for the afternoon," or is he going to say? Well, actually, looking at statistics, as you said, this golf course suits you down to the ground. You're the best driver in the whole of the Ryder Cup. Go out there and do your thing again. And if, you know, if Bryson DeChambeau can be in a situation where Stricker's going to be able to trust him enough to buddying him up, I, I personally think, and I might be talking absolute gibberish, and I usually do, but I could see a DeChambeau-Tony Finau team, for example. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think they are perfect together. Yeah. So, you know, all of this, oh, instantly, well, DeChambeau won't play all five matches because everybody hates him. And that's a very easy narrative to go down the route of. But I'm not so sure that's a situation that Steve Stricker would get forced into that situation if, if DeChambeau is performing. And if he's actually you know, placed with someone that he's going to be able to play good team golf with. And Tony Finau, to me, don't bear in mind, we mentioned him earlier, didn't we? First ever major top 10 here in 2015, way back in 2015. This course suits Tony Finau down to the ground. And don't forget, if the conditions get gnarly, they get a little bit windy, gusty, a little bit tricky. Finau's got that background where he's great by the coast. You know, look how well he played at the Northern Trust, which was yeah. a bit blurry. There was some nasty weather around. He's done well at Open Championships in Fair the past enough. on genuine links courses. I think Finau, and even if he's not playing with DeChambeau, I can see that. I can see Finau having a good week. I can also have to see Finau and DeChambeau actually working as a partnership. 
I agree. I think that um, I've heard t- I've heard some takes about well, you cannot play, you cannot have Bryson in the alternate shot, which is the foursomes. And and to answer your earlier question, it's foursomes in the morning and four balls in the afternoon. I actually think that. Bryson and Finau together in alternate shot in the foursomes format would work per, would work phenomenally well because I think the one issue with Bryson right now that that causes some concern for me is his short game has been very poor recently. It, it almost feels like I'm not going to say he has the chipping yips or anything like that, but his he's lost uh, he's lost stroke short game in eight straight starts, which, you know, is, is kind of odd for him because historically over a larger sample size, his short game has been fine. It has never been the strength of his game, but it hasn't been as bad as it has been currently. And what's been kind of fascinating and doesn't get talked about a lot with Finau is his short game has been unbelievable. Finau has an excellent short game. So I think in, in an alternate shot situation where you have Bryson and Finau together and you know what's great about the foursomes is it it resets on every tee so you can you have the ability to have you have the ability to strategize a little bit if that makes sense like for example in in Colin Morikawa if if they have Colin Morikawa paired with someone else you have the ability to say to Colin, who's an excellent iron player, hey, we're going to have you go off on the odd number hold because they're more par threes. There's more ability for you to hit irons uh, if you go off on the odd number holes and vice versa. I think you could do the same thing with a Bryson Finau matchup where there will be a lot of holes where Bryson can absolutely bomb it up there as far as he wants and have kind of some of those awkward pit shots that Bryson does tend to struggle with, but Finau excels with. I, I think they I think they would be perfect on paper, in my opinion. So I'm seeing DeChambeau at 16 to 1 in that top points combined market. So it'd be fascinating to see Thursday. Thursday, you know, when they There'll be some entertainment. They do their speeches and whatever. It'd be fascinating to see if DeChambeau is elected to play in those morning foursomes. I think so too. I'm really curious. I'd be amazed if he gets selected for foursomes on on Friday and they win. I I cannot see for the life of me they wouldn't be thrown back in for the four ball. I really can't. I think so too. I go ahead. Well, I, I genuinely think that that's something that the Americans can get better at as well, and that's something that the Europeans never shy away from. If a team's winning, it keeps playing. Simple as that, really. So, you know, I, I can see a scenario where Thomas and Speed play together, and I think because they've got such strong voices in that team room, I expect they'll be allowed to. Whether they were part of the Patrick Reed scenario is all up for conjecture. But I think Thomas and Speed will play together. You can't see Xander and Cantley being split up as long as they're doing well. Yeah. I could see DeChambeau and Finau working as a team. I could see DeChambeau and Finau working working as well. And then and then I think like I think Morikawa and Scheffler could be interesting together because I think Scheffler is such an Scheffler's the reason why Scheffler was picked. I mean, Stricker said this exact same thing when he was asked about why he didn't pick Kevin Nas. He wanted to select excellent drivers of the ball, and Scheffler's awesome off the tee. He's very long and he's he's very straight for how long he is as well. And then obviously we know that Morikawa is the best iron player in the world. I think they could be an excellent pairing together. Brooks is kind of the fascinating one to me uh, from a chemistry standpoint. And just, I, I, I was thinking Berger because, I mean, they're both Florida guys. Um, Brooks is pretty good at everything. He's an excellent driver of the ball as well. And Berger is an extremely underrated iron player. Over the last 50 rounds, he's the number two iron player out of all these 24 players behind Colin Morikawa. Yeah, I said, you know, he ranks number one tee to green last eight weeks in my analysis. That's Daniel Berger. He just couldn't buy a putt. Yeah. I think Berger and Kepka is, is interesting as well. And then, you know, Harris English and, and Dustin Johnson, I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe it's, it's, when you when you go through the names, it's a crazy deep team. It's, it's how do you fit them all in? That's that's the. Do you think Kepka will actually play? Is that is that definitely going to happen? So that 
Here's my thing with Brooks, and I'm almost tempted to, I'm almost tempted to like take the take the other side of this whole thing and say that Kepka is going to be awesome this week because I think what's interesting about Kepka is as as we kind of mentioned, I can't remember whether we touched on this off air or on air. I think it was on air, but you know, I think the injury was serious. I I really do, and so you know the reason the fact that he's playing this week. Um, I, I think that it means he's in good form and he had a perfect out, Steve. Like he, 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 ha- if he didn't want to play this week, he had the out with the wrist injury. Everyone saw that injury. It wasn't some fluke joke injury where it was like a oh, Brooks didn't want to stay the weekend or Brooks didn't want to play this tournament. Um, cause he wasn't in contention. Like that was a real injury. And so I, I think, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the golf digest, big article that that they wrote on Brooks where he had some comments that were a little bit concerning um, in terms of his kind of how he feels about the Ryder Cup and how he compares it to other major championships. I I think I think Brooks will play and I and I I say that obviously with a little bit of hesitation, but I think the the chemistry thing on the United States side, I happen to be a little bit in the camp of it is a little bit overblown. And if the Europeans do win, it's not necessarily because there's all of this infighting and drama with the U.S. team. It's more because we're underrating how much whistling could play into the Europeans' hands if the conditions are, as we presume them to be, a little bit windier and a little bit more blustier and a little bit more link style um, than we were hoping for. So I think Kepka is going to do well here again on paper. This is a great course for him. Kepka, you know, obviously he does very well on longer courses. He's an excellent driver of the ball. As you mentioned, Kiowa is a pretty good comp and he contended at Kiowa. He was great at Torrey Pines as well. So I think this is a good course for, for Kepka. And I, I do think that he's going to have success this week. I, I don't, I don't think that I think once they all get there, Steve, I don't think that there's going to be as much drama maybe as we expect. That's it. I'd love to be in that team room. I just, <laughs> I know. To be fair, I, I would sit and watch the live feeds of the team room for and, <laughs> and pay a subscription for that. Um, it, uh, just to see the dynamics, just to see the body language, you know, someone <laughs> sitting in the corner not getting spoken to or... It's um, it's crazy stuff. I mean, how how you fit Speed Johnson, Kepka, Deschambeau, JT, Finau, um, Zander, Morikara, Cantlay? You don't disappoint these characters. You know, it's, it's it's a very tough task. Very very tough task. Just, I'm 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 looking at my numbers. Um, Jordan Speed averages four point seven matches for his outings of, uh, for Team America so far. So basically, he's just missed one. I think he's had, uh, what has he had? He's played 14 or 15 maximum matches that he could have. DJ averages four. Brooks Kepka across his two Ryder Cup out- appearance, uh, outings has averaged four. JT played every match at the Golf National, so five. And then Tony Finau and DeChambeau, they got three games each at the Golf National, clearly. Uh, Berger, Cantley, English, Morikara, Zander and Scotty are making their first Ryder Cup appearances. But just looking at Cantley and Zander at the uh, at the at the um, Ca- uh, President's Cup, they played all five. So, I, I you know, I, I think that Cantley and Zander will be part of Steve's master plan to to re- you know to play as many games as long as they're winning. That's that's the key to all of this, isn't it? Yes. Winning. Yeah, I yeah, I, I think uh, it, just an abundance of riches, isn't it? It's just <laughs> it just is an abundance of riches. And with the European side, it, not so I, much an abundance of riches. Yeah, I, I mean, I when I was kind of, I kind of did a. I kind of did a little bit of a deep dive on all, on all of the players. And I, I was trying to kind of figure out, you know, Fitzpatrick is not coming in playing great golf right yeah. now. Neither is Wiesberger. I mean, he's, he's playing okay, but he's, he's not, I mean, he just, he finished T 20th in at the BMW PGA, but last like five starts, it's been, 
he had the second, and I think it was, I can't remember, it was on the, um, the, yes, the, the Masters, Omega Masters. Masters. Second, yeah. Correct. But he, he's not he's not coming in playing amazing. And, and Lee Westwood, obviously, he had that fantastic run uh, earlier in the season in Florida where he finished second at Bay Hill and the players. But he's really cooled um, since then. So it, as you mentioned, it's, it's kind of, it's really fascinating to see. And I think what is, what's it, what is all going to come down to is if the Europe, if the top end of the European team, if Rory, Rom and Hovland, if those guys have really good weeks, I, I, I do think that those are all three players and maybe Sergio and, and Poulter and Casey as well. I think all, I think, and Lowry too. I think, I think Sergio, Poulter, and Casey all play four times, and Lowry as well. I, I think there's a situation where I wouldn't be shocked if Weisberger only plays twice, and if Westwood uh, plays twice, and and, and if if yeah, and if if Fitzpatrick and Hatton, it kind of depends. Hatton hasn't been in great form either, so I think it's going to come down. I think the X factor in this Ryder Cup, in my opinion, is Rory Rom and uh hovland i think if those guys can beat the american kind of top end i I think that the europe i think that the european side is going to surprise some people steve you've been incredibly generous with your time i know we want to get out of here as you have some family returning to you soon before we get out of here i kind of want to just is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to talk about in terms of your thoughts, uh, whether it be from a gambling perspective or just kind of closing thoughts on what kind of brought you. I, I had a feeling, Steve, uh, I mentioned this in my last podcast that, you know, I was on the side of the U.S., but that after talking to you, I might have warmed up a little bit. To I might find myself warming up a little bit to the Europeans. Do you want to give a little bit of one final sell to the listeners on why you did decide to back the Europeans? I think the value, uh, the value is in Team Europe, and I'm sitting here. Uh, on a Monday, looking at a forecast that might change completely by Friday. But if what I'm seeing even transpires to, say, 60 70% in terms of the cold temperatures, the wind, uh, I, I just genuinely think it suits the Europeans far more in terms of just the way that, you know, the, the, the way that the Europeans play golf and the way that we're able to grind and if it's more of a grind, I, I just think you know, that might suit um, some of our players, like a Hatton, who's got a great short game, a Fitzpatrick, a Lowry, um, some of the undersung players, um, not the big names. Um, the, other, the other thing to point out, Sergio Garcia, 25 and a half points he's generated for Team Europe over his career on the Ryder Cup, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, it'd be interesting to see if Garcia and Rahm are going to be a team that uh, just play a kind of monument team that won't get split because, you know, that that Spanish angle, that Garcia-Rahm angle, whenever you, whenever you see an interview with Rahm, he always quotes Sergio as being a hero of his, a motivator. I, I think that Spanish... You know, if that was a Spanish headline group of Garcia and Ram, with Garcia's experience and a 54% win rate at the Ryder Cup, um, him and Ram could be a phenomenal team this week. As we know with Garcia, fantastic driver of the golf ball, great in windy conditions, has had success by the coast as well. So Garcia and Ram, um, if that becomes a team, I, I think that could be an extremely strong spearhead team for the Europeans this week. Real quick, you just made me think of something else. Who do you think they're going to play, pair Hovland with? Well, I think they all want to play with him. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know that Rory does. thing is, I mean, you can't, you know, if you're, if you're categorizing Rahm, McElroy, and Hovland as your best three in the team, you wouldn't really want to put McElroy and Hovland together, for example. You'd probably want to keep them split. I could see potentially a Hovland playing with 
Oh, a Lee Westwood for the experience, maybe in an opening match. You could see him go, you could see him being linked by or teamed up potentially with Paul Casey, who's got masses of experience. Because I think Hovland, being a rookie, never experienced in the Ryder Cup, and everyone talks about it the fact that it doesn't matter, you know, how many majors you've played in, until you stood on that first tee on a, on a Friday morning, um, you, you, you've players have never been so nervous in their life. I could see Hovland actually being um, paired with someone with some experience. On yeah, I was, was going to say Poulter would be. Yeah, potentially Poulter. Although Poulter and McElroy have, have formed quite a good team over recent Ryder Cups. And, and so maybe, maybe that could be another spearhead team, Poulter and, and McElroy. And, 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 you know, and Hatton, too, is they're all friends. Poulter, Hatton, yeah. and Rory are all pretty close, right? You know, Poulter, 64% win rate in the Ryder Cup. That, that's phenomenal across his career. 14 wins, two halves, and six losses. You know, he is a winning machine, the postman. I, I, yeah, I could, I could see Poulter and Hovland potentially, Poulter and McElroy, something of that ilk. I'd be surprised as well if Garcia and Rahm don't play together for at least a couple of matches. I agree. I think, yeah, I, th- I would say... Rom and Garcia is a great pairing. I've heard Rom. I've heard the idea of pairing Rom and Hovland together, or pairing uh, Rom and Rory, or pairing sorry Rory and Hovland together as kind of the Europeans' answer to those uh, U.S. pairings that we know are going to be so deadly in Spieth and Thomas and Xander and Cantlay. But Steve, let's get out of there on that man. I think I. This was a fantastic conversation, and we could have I could have done it with you for another hour or two. Um, I am so excited for this Ryder Cup. And before we get out of here, man, why don't you tell why don't you tell everybody where else they can find you this week? Are are you doing I know you mentioned you had a podcast coming out tomorrow morning as well. I already saw that you guys released your form statistics and your combined yeah. statistics. So I would encourage everybody to go check out golf betting system. Dot, it's co.uk um, yeah. to check out those. Are you doing an article as well? Potentially. Um, I think what we might do is formulate some thinking as a, t- as a group tomorrow in our podcast. So, yeah, Golf Betting System podcast will be out tomorrow uh, morning for, you, for a state side or lunchtime over here in the UK. Um, we've got loads of free statistics, combination stats where we've got current form and how players have played at uh, Whistling Straits in the past. Straight form stats. We've got um, in, we've got also stats there in terms of how players have performed in the combined um, point scoring markets over the years. We've also got um, a Ryder Cup predictor model, which includes for the first time ever. We've got six months of strokes gain data in there. So strokes gain both European Tour and PGA Tour combined, all completely free at Golf Betting System. So come and take a look. And yeah, the podcast will be out tomorrow, Tuesday. And Bamford Bamford Golf on Twitter. Everybody, please give, yep, please give Bamford Golf on Twitter if you haven't already. Steve. Once again, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. And I'm sure we will continue to stay in touch and do it again soon sometime. Much appreciated. Enjoy the Ryder Cup and enjoy your time there. I'm very jealous. <laughs> thanks so much. That's it for the show, guys. Special thanks to Roto Baller Thrive Fantasy and, of course, Steve Bamford for joining me. I will be at Whistling Straits for the Ryder Cup this weekend, so no Sunday preview for me, but I will be back on Tuesday with the guest breaking down the Sanderson Farms. Until then, I hope you enjoy the Ryder Cup as much as I will. Catch you next time.